Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We're not going to pass you again. Lawson! Yes, sir. Let's go, man! Yes, sir. Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we've been excited about this. I, I thought we lost you when we moved up, and I'm excited to get you here. We're excited to get you here. we got a heck of a foundation growing, man. It's going to be fun. Feel me? Yes, sir. I can't wait. All gas, brother. Let's roll, man. Hey, I'm What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by Jets beat writer DJ Bianame, DBNMA, NYDN on Twitter and Instagram. How you doing today, DJ? I'm doing good, Will. I'm doing good, you know. Uh, just finished up a piece uh, just about, you know, the Jets defensive line. I didn't basically have to carry the defense this year. <laughs> um, but that's about that. I just finished taking care of that. So now I'm on the pod. Yeah, no, I'm excited, excited to have you on here. We'll, we'll get into the D-line a little bit and let you kind of preview um, some of the article and stuff like that. And obviously people who aren't familiar, you joined the pot. I mean, I joined the, uh, the beat this year. And um, How's the experience been so far? Obviously, there's a lot of the fans in the Jets beat have uh, had interesting interactions over, over the years, especially on Twitter. And I think you've done a good job of kind of being vulnerable with the fans. And I think people have really appreciated that, just kind of opening up a little bit. How's that experience been so far? I know it's a, it's a pretty crazy fan base. It's, it's been fun, man. I've enjoyed every every step of the way. Um, I really do. Like, at first, it took a while for some of the Jet fans to deal with the fact that I, I grew up in Miami and I'm a Dolphins fan. But, like, now, you know, they've kind of gotten used to it and they've realized that that doesn't affect how I write. That doesn't affect my reporting. Um, you know, and we, we're able to have some of the banter because that makes it fun. At the end of the day, sports is about competition, back and forth. Uh, fans, you know, talking smack to each other. So I'm vulnerable in that, and that allows, you know, Jeff fans to throw darts at me. Like, there's times where I'll tweet about, like, Zach Wilson or something like that, and then someone will say, oh, but he's better than Tua. And I'm just like, yo, you got to do better than that if you want to get under my skin. So That's not really you know. That's not really saying much. No offense to Tua. That's not exactly <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see this year. But either way, though, either way, though, you know, I, I enjoy the back and forth. That's why, you know, I always shoot out questions. Because, you know, I'm still trying to get to learn the Jets fan base overall so overall it's been fun you know just being at Ricky minicamp I think about three weeks ago that was fun um you know covering the draft that's fun I mean this is always basically like my dream job to cover NFL teams so you know I'm just living the dream for the most part yeah no that's it's it's an interesting fan base in, in a lot of good ways and I think um you know at first competitive at first overreactionary maybe at times the fan base is I think that's that's better than having a fan base that doesn't care so for me I, I you know I mean I think that's one of the most important things, but, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, you're able to 
you know, you hopped on, you kind of right in the middle of the off season, which is, you know, obviously an exciting time, especially from a beat perspective, because, you know, during the yeah. season, obviously I know it's about the games and breaking down film and, and all that type of stuff, but you got to come in, the Jets making a bunch of big moves in free agency. They make a bunch of moves in the draft. What's your impression of the off season been as a whole? Because obviously there's been a million different layers, coach, new players, free agency draft. What's been the overall kind of vibe you felt, you know, from the, from the off season so far? That there's a plan and they're executing that plan. They, you know, Robert Sala, so far, everything that I've read and heard that he wants to have a defense that's not complicated. Um, I know that might sound kind of weird that you don't want to create a complicated defense, but he wants his players just to read and react, and he wants his D-line to create mayhem. So getting Carl Lawson, who was second in the NFL in quarterback hits, uh, I think he had like 32, I believe, and he had 64 pressures. Um, get him, even though he only had six sacks, but I feel in this game, his those sack numbers should go up because he gets to the quarterback. Um, you go get Sheldon Rankins, so he's going to be able to play alongside with uh, Quinn Williams. And the defensive line is already deep, you know. So um, I, I like the direction you go. You take a flyer on J uh, Jared Davis, who fits more what Coach Sala wants, which is more athletic linebackers that can run sideline to sideline. So hopefully the new scheme will allow Davis to take a step forward in his career. I mean, relatively, it's been disappointment, disappointing, but that may have been just because of the scheme that he was in with the Lions under Pat Patricia, or Matt Patricia. But um, so I, I like that, you know, let's see, you know, they brought in Jordan, let's see if he can take him, you know, get back to that 2017, 2018 form where he was with the Rams. Um, and then in a the draft, they crush the draft. You know, you go get Zach, then you go get him the weapons. You go get him Elijah Barry Tucker, trade trade up, go get him. Um, which at first I was like, oh, that might be a little bit too much. But then once I added context, uh, and realize, yo, if you have, if you could protect the interior, the interior is just as important as the uh, out to the exterior, you know what I'm saying? With left tackle, right tackle. If you can protect them, you know, the middle, because the pressure goes right up into Zach Wilson's face, that makes everything even harder for him. If, you know, to come around and tackles, he could just step up in the pocket if he has, you know, if he can show that quarterback, um, ooh, I, I forgot what they, how to describe it, but just being able to move around in the pocket. Um, but, you know, then he go and get Elijah Moore, who has some of the best routes in the class who some thought was going to go first round, then you'll get Michael Carter, who was going to be a third round pick, fell to the fourth and you when you got him. So the plan is is pretty obvious, you know, improve the defensive line, make so, because the defensive line getting after the quarterback, then that makes everybody's job easier um, in the, on the back end. And then with Zach, you get him the piece that he need that, you know, they didn't do with Sam Darnold, but it is what it is. That's in the past. You know, you know, the Jets are somewhat learning from the mistake because that wasn't all Joe Douglas's fault. He got here in 2019, I, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I, I see the plan and I see them trying to execute it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, you know, something that, you know, for for Douglas as a whole, it was building up that defensive line because even pressures, you mentioned with Carl Lawson, a lot of the way sacks are is it's about their teammates around you. Marcus Spears on the pod mentioned this multiple times. He's like, Leonard Floyd doesn't get 10 and a half sacks last year if he's not playing next to Aaron Donald, who's mm -hmm. eating up three different blocks. Or if Quinton's as good as people want him to be, and he was really good last year, and hopefully he takes another step this year, you know, that makes Carl Lawson better, makes Sheldon Rankins better, makes all these guys, JFM, all the guys on the defensive line, um, you know, step up their game. And I know Salah's kind of theory that that's, I mentioned, I know you've mentioned this in the past, it's, they weren't ever really going to invest big in the corner. There's a chance maybe they go after a veteran corner, which I'd like to see. That room is incredibly young. Everyone's younger than me in that cornerback room, and I'm not an old person. So, right. um, you know, but they, if they can get pressure and then get C.J. Mosley even close to C.J. Mosley of 2018, 2017, 
now all of a sudden you can protect the Bryce Hall. You can let him be simple. It's simple at his eyes. It's the same thing on the offensive side of the ball. I feel like they're not going to make it overly complicated for Zach. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing though. That's, that's just making it so he can make easy, quick decisions and, and go from there. What are your impressions, you know, watching, um, you know, watching Zach throw in person. I know people I've spoke to like players wise have been like the zip on the ball is something that we just, you don't normally see. Um, was that the impression you kind of got watching in person? Yeah, you know, based off of just it, it was limited, but we were able to see enough. Yeah, the ball, his arm is live. There's a lot of zip behind his passes, so velocity won't be an issue for him. Um, other things that you know they're working on some uh, athleticism things. You know, going through uh, pocket uh, wasn't pocket reads. My bad, it wasn't that. But you know, just going through uh, some some drills to work on some footwork things, um, and then throwing off of sometimes there's one drill they do throwing a low. He picks it up. And he throws a accurate pass, things like that. So it's just being able to, you know, kind of work in mayhem in a sense. But we didn't see too much. We just saw enough to where basically what we what we put out, the beat put out video wise is what basically we saw it wasn't nothing too much more. But overall, you know, the ball looked good coming out of his hands. He was pretty accurate. Um, I did enjoy watching Elijah Moore run routes. <laughs> that that's a smooth player right there. That's gonna he's gonna be a playmaker. So. Those are some of the things that stood out for me that I saw from uh, Zach Wilson just was his accuracy and the velocity. Yeah, it's just funny. I knew you were going to say that. You're a track guy, so I knew you were going to look at Elijah more stuff. That's going to be what's going to get you. Get you fired. <laughs> Elijah Vera Tucker's cool, but I, don't, I think for you it's going to be more of the, uh, more of the track stuff that's going to kind of make an impression. Yeah, is, there any, <laughs> is there any guys um, – I know obviously what they kind of went all in on day three, other than Michael Carter, defensive high ceiling, really well floor guys, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. at least in – I think that's the way you should approach the draft in day three, unless there's a really specific need a guy falls for maybe a character and injury concern. Usually it's, you know, you try to take the best athlete possible and hope you can coach him up. Is there any of those right. guys between that and then some of the undrafted free agents they brought in? A couple of guys probably could have been drafted. Kenny Ebo, um, could have Oregon State as well. Any of those guys really excite you? Michael Carter II's kind of picked up a lot of buzz from the yeah. fan base. Is that is is that the fan base kind of getting excited about a guy and building him up, or is, is there some legitimacy to that? I like I like Michael Carter. Uh, Robert Sala uh, mentioned him during uh, uh, rookie mini camps, just saying that you know he was making plays throughout rookie mini camp. Granted, you know that that's really early, but that's one player that I have watched a good amount of film on. Another player that I've watched a lot of film on is Jason. Uh, I think it's I know I don't know it's how like to pronounce it. Panak. I don't know how to pronounce it either. I've... Yeah, I think it's Panak. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's Panak. But I, I've watched like a lot of his film: the good, the bad, the middle. But I've, I've watched a lot of his film. He's really good um, at the line of scrimmage. He's really good um, at the second level. Sometimes he struggles a little bit with finding the ball down the field, and sometimes he can struggle a little bit with speedsters. But um, he's he's really uh, physical at the line of scrimmage, um, and he's able to sit on routes, able to get in and out of breaks. Um, so his man-to-man is really his thing. That's what he likes to do, and that's something that he really thrives in. When I was watching him against Des Fitzpatrick, uh, the fourth-round draft pick for the Tennessee Titans, because when they played Louisville, um, he did fairly well against them. Um, there was times where down the field, Tutu Atwell was able to create separation, but they just didn't throw the ball down the field. But then at the end of the game, he catches a pick. Um, granted, it was kind of like a broken play where Tutu runs a, a flat route, and he just happens to be there, and it just ends up catching the pick. But overall, though, he um, I've watched a lot of film on him because I'm really intrigued by him. I want to see how he transi- transitions because there's a lot to like about him. But I also like Michael Carter because Michael Carter can fly, fly, so he's going to be really good in the slot too. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, if, if they can hit on even one or two of those guys, 
um, on in a day three position. Like if they hit on Bryce Hall, which I think they probably uh, potentially did. Even if you look at like Bless Austin, I know he might not be this elite level corner, but he's a day he's a day three six round pick, and he's still on the roster and contributing year in year out. That's that's hitting in my opinion on day three. If you can build depth from your roster and then you know make a splash with an Elijah Moore, make a splash with a Zach Wilson, you know stuff like that. That's how you build your roster up to be competitive with the Patriots, the you know Dolphins and Bills. I wanted to kind of, we'll get back to some Jets stuff in a second, but I wanted to kind of get you well, obviously a lot of exciting stuff's happened within the division, um, you know, new quarterbacks, new, new weapons, new defensive players and stuff like that. But the division as a whole, what are your kind of thoughts on how the Jets will be able to stack up against the competition? And do you think this is Buffalo's division, you know, to win and everybody else, or do you think Miami, uh, New England, and potentially the Jets could, you know, compete with Buffalo this year? So um, I think it's for sure the Bills division to lose. I think the Bills are a Super Bowl contender. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, growing up as a Dolphins fan, this shocks me. I would have, <laughs> you know, say this shocks me. But um, within the division, I think the Jets can be extremely competitive. Uh, we, I, I still want to see towards development. Like I wasn't as down as a lot of people were on him, but he still has to take another step. So that first time when they play each other, I really want to see where he is at that point. Because when I was doing the scheduling, I was thinking, okay, I may be able to give the Jets this win right here against the Dolphins because I I still need to see that next step. I mean, the, the Dolphins have provided Tua with more weapons, which he didn't have last year. But, again, we still have to see because, you know, you can do everything right, but if your quarterback isn't him, you know what I'm saying, then you're kind of stuck. So um, I'm still 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 kind of waiting see mode on that. Um, some people think he'll take that next step. Some people still have their questions, which is fair either way. Um the Patriots, I'm not as high on them as everybody else, but if they do go get Julio, then that changes everything. <laughs> so um, we 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 shall we shall see overall, but um, it's still the Bills' division to, to win. I think that the Jets can still be competitive within the division. Maybe go two and four, maybe even possibly go three and three, um, because I just if the D line can play to the way it needs to play, then that's going to only improve the all. I mean the defense, obviously make everything easier for them. And then I do believe that with um, the West Coast, basically Kyle Shanahan scheme, I do believe that Zach Wilson will be able to have some relative success. And that should be able to sneak out some wins that we on paper do not see uh, coming. Yeah, no, I think that it's interesting for the Jets because if they can go two and three in the division going into that week 17 game, if Buffalo's as good as you, like people think they're going to be, happened two years ago, that's maybe potentially go three and three in the division. And Quite frankly, if Atlanta trades Julio, that game is even easier than it was before. I think it's not really a natural road game. The Jets should have a pretty good fan base based on the, the Woody Trump thing in uh, in London. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think I'm I'm the same with you with both points. I'm not trying to be super down on Tua, and I get it. He's coming off potentially career-threatening injury. He hadn't played football in a long time. Chan Gailey right. was fits his offensive coordinator. He's followed him everywhere. And that can't be understated, right? Because the offense right. was so dumbed down when Tua was playing. And then all of a sudden, Fitz comes in, they're throwing bombs to people. It's like, right. where was this for Tua? But I also feel like I didn't love – I don't love when guys that played with people instantly just jump to some – like, that was concerning for me when Waddle and Devonta Smith were both like, yeah, no, like, yeah, look, Mac, Mac's better. Like, I was like, ooh, like, that, that was a little right, stark, right, of right, a, right. stark of a you know, <laughs> criticism. But, now the Julio to the New England thing would be – would suck quite frankly i think like <laughs> julio is in my opinion been the best receiver in the football in the last 10 years he's in my top five ever he's getting close if he's not there he's right? better but yeah no better, we, but we can disagree on that but I, I just think julio is the most complete like 
I just don't, I don't, like, I don't think people quite understand he's been in Atlanta other than that Super Bowl year. He, I don't know if people don't watch him. Like, I just suggest go watch Julio's clips for five minutes and be like, <laughs> it's every against, it's some of the most ridiculous stuff I've ever seen is in Martian. So I don't understand that there was a rumor today that it was because Cam has more zip on the ball than Matt Ryan. Have you watched Cam the last three years? Because the zip is going <laughs> into the ground. It's not actually right. going anywhere. But right. how do you think that quarterback competition plays out in, in New England? Do you think we see Mac Jones earlier? Is it going to be like week eight and Cam's, they're four and four? And it's the same thing with Miami last year where they kind of just go to the young guy. So I think uh, they're going to ride out with Cam because um, they want to win. I, I know Bill wants to win, after, especially seeing Tom Brady leave and win Super Bowl his first year. They want to win as many games as possible. I just don't know how many games they can win. Like, I don't know what the ceiling is with Mac. I just know the ceiling is a lot higher with, with Cam. But if you want to look towards the future, of course, you, you can go with Mac Jones. But, uh, I mean, Cam has – I mean, he's more proven, obviously. But um, Cam, they still went 7-9 last year with, with Cam Newton missing one game and having to deal with the, um, whatever the side effects of COVID had on him. They still went 7-9. and nine. Um, And, you know, some players opted out. Granted – a lot of those players weren't like, well, some of them were good. Um, they gained Dante Hightower back. They got Calvin Noy back. Um, they add, they added some weapons on offense. They got both of the tight ends and Geno Smith and, and Henry. And then they add, um, uh, they had Aguilar. They had Aguilar. Ag- yeah, yeah. Aguilar and, uh, KB out of, uh, San Francisco, a born. That was a guy so, everyone thought the Jets were just going to get. And then obviously ends up in New England, but. <laughs> Nah, right. so yeah, they're an interesting so, team. Yeah, they're a very interesting team. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like it could – when you go all in like that, because you basically – what's funny is they did what bad teams do when they have an okay year. They, did with they, the Jets. they literally did the Jets move. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, like, you know, everybody praised it, and it's just like, yo, like, they overpaid for some guys. Um, I mean, they also did bring in Judon. So, I think that they'll be better. But, again, you can have everything – cooking if your quarterback isn't the guy uh then you're gonna be you know you're gonna be in some trouble so yeah and i just it's just interesting how this narrative that like look the patriots i'm in no position to talk i've i've roots for the jets and like obviously they've owned you know the patriots the jets have gotten owned by the patriots for the last 20 years minus a couple of, you know 2010 things like that but right man I, it's just interesting how the narrative that the jets did the exact same thing and went all in on tight ends and guys that edge rushers that are really more run stoppers and things like people would crucify them but it's mm-hmm. i guess it's, it comes with the territory if you win you're gonna get the benefit of the doubt even if they've drafted one pro bowler the last 10 years but it's okay <laughs> we're not gonna belichick's best head coach ever gm wise right you know like like we we can agree that you know he's a great coach but again he had the greatest quarterback of all time like that helps you know like i have to explain that to people that yeah, they it's were the able Phil, to get it's the away. Phil Jackson thing, though. It's like he had right, Shaq right, and MJ right. and Kobe and all these guys, and he was the best coach ever and all that stuff. But then the Knicks made him the like basically their GM, and he was awful. It doesn't right, mean right, Jeff right. the KP, I guess, which was talent wise, was a good pick. But that's <laughs> just because you can coach doesn't mean you're a GM, and vice versa. Same thing with Urban and Jacksonville right now. I'm not sure. Right. He's the you know talent evaluator, is not as a recruiter, but. Um, I was curious from your, you know, from your perspective. Obviously, we, you talked about the schedule. I know you had an article come out. I think you had them going five and twelve, but being competitive and, and more. No, nah, I, I had them six and eleven. Oh, I had six, them six and eleven. Right, I'll give. I'll yeah. probably, I don't want to get people freaked out about that. But what are two or three <laughs> of the matchups you're most looking forward to being able to cover, whether home or road games? Okay, so the first game that I'm most ecstatic about is it's later in the season, but it's when they play the Jacks, right? You're gonna have the one versus two. 
Um, we haven't had that type of matchup. The first quarterback, second quarterback that we both went number one, number two in the draft, playing each other in the same season of rookie year since 2015 with Marcus Mariota and Jameis. Marcus Mariota's team destroyed Jameis's number team. I think it was like what an awful quarterback draft. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but, but you know, like I'm really looking forward to that because no matter what, those two are going to be tied together. I, I, they're going to just, you know, just going to be tied together. Like that's just how every quarterback draft goes. Um, and obviously, you know, Zach will probably be tied a little bit to Trey and, and you know, obviously Justin Fields fell a little bit later. He may be tied to him too, but um, I want to see the one versus two. I want to see how that matchup uh, plays out. And again, it'll be towards the end of the season. So we'll, then we'll be seeing, hopefully seeing those guys play at, uh, you know, playing a little bit better. Um, granted, there'll be more film on both of those quarterbacks. So we'll see what they struggle with and what they, what the, some of the strengths are. But again, it'll be towards the end of the year. Um, and that, that'll be really exciting for me. Um, number two will probably be when they play Miami. Um, I just want to see uh, how the Jets, you know, fare in that type of matchup. Um, just because the Dolphins are quote unquote rising, um, people are now looking to their quote unquote blueprint of how they were able to rebuild the roster and add all that talent. So I, I want to see how that comes together, and I want to see how the the Jets um, fare in that matchup. I could see the Jets winning that game. So, and then number three, obviously, is Sam Darnold versus the um you know, the Sam Darnold versus the Jets. Granted, I don't, I mean, it's a big deal, but like, it's not that big of a deal. Cause after week one, like who remembers week one? You know what I'm saying? Like the Jaguars beat the Colts in week one and then proceeded to lose 15 straight. You know what I'm saying? So like week one means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of everything. Cause teams can look great in week one. And then by the end of the year, they can look, you know, everything can look completely different. So you know, again, like the Dolphins last year started out 0-2 and then they ended up uh, 10 and 6, you know. Um, I've seen the Dolphins start out 3-0 and and they end up under 500. So, you know, that, that those first those first few weeks of the season, they mean something. Obviously, you don't want to start 0-4, but again, I've seen the Houston Texans start out 0-3 and then finished uh, in a winning division. I think they finished 11-5. I think that was like 2019. Um, so, all in all, though, those are my three matchups, you know, when they played the uh, Jags. I mean, yeah, the Jags later on in the year, the Dolphins the first time, and then when they played Carolina week one. Yeah, no, those are those are two of the games. I'm looking most – I mean, the home opener for me is, like, one of the most fun parts as a Jets fan, and it'll be against New England. The week two vibes of 2010 where, like, they came off, and it's, like, the most hyped-up Jets team in the last probably since 98, and, like, they beat New England. It's just, like, they just punched Tom Brady in the mouth over and over and mm. over again. Revis <laughs> picking all. It was just – that was a great – you know, obviously it's a, a memory and stuff like that. But the Sam stuff, I know Kyle, you know, is on the pod. He mentioned the same thing. He's like, dude, if Zach Wilson goes those four picks, like, it won't matter in the long run. It'll matter because right. that's your first impression of him, you know, watching him. And I think that was something with Sam where, like, the first impression was the pick six. And then the rest of the game was, like, honestly, he was fantastic. He was, like, 17 to 21, like, 230 and two touchdowns. Looked great. And they win that game right. in a blowout. So that your first impression was like, oh, stupid mistake, really good rest of the game. And, like, I hope that he can play well. I love Sam. I hope he balls out and the Jets win in a shootout. And it'd be like that, you know, I don't know if people remember, like, the Rodgers versus Sam in, in week 16 yeah. or 2018 where, like, one. Sam balled, but they lost. I kind of hope the exact right. same thing happens. The Jets win. Sam plays well. Quiets both camps. But it doesn't – like, if the Jets get a win and Zach Wilson plays, like, shit, part of my friend, like, who cares? Like – they win the game and fans are happy and they'll move on though. You know, we two they'll play new England, but the Miami thing I think is interesting too, because everything is like, I've seen so much stuff. Oh, they traded Nika. Then the Jets traded Jamal. They get the two first round picks. It's how they rebuild defensive coach, all these different things. 
I agree and I kind of don't. I just think that it's hard. How do you like know that until actually you see it on the field and the Jets make that drastic improvement? It's a good comparison, right. but if right. if you know if the Jets have a lot of questions about Zach Wilson after year one, then maybe I guess we're in the same spot. But I don't know. I'll be interested to see how that works. But see, I'm I'm the type to give quarterbacks time to develop because again, we saw with Josh Allen like. Like it's funny, like we see him now, like being obviously from the second MVP. Uh, Twelve months discussion. ago, most people would have taken Sam over Josh Allen in a heartbeat. It, exactly, exactly. Like, people don't realize like how bad. Granted, Josh Allen has physical traits that are through the roof, but he was god awful. Like his first first year, like he was not good at all. Like ten touchdowns, passing, twelve interceptions, and then um, last, like, you know, his second year they did get to the playoffs, but it almost felt somewhat in spite of. Josh Allen, because he still was okay. He had so and many of those looked- stupid turnovers still. That was like the fumble, or I don't know if that was – that led Houston back in the game, and then Houston wins that game. Like, Buffalo was up like 17 nothing or something like that. Right, right, right. So, um, but then, you know, he he finally pops, and then he looks like what he looks like now. Um, so, I'm big on, you know, just let, let's give people some time. Cause I, I remember, like, last year going into the season, people still had like a – bunch of questions about Baker granted he hasn't answered all of those questions but now it's all right the Browns they have a quarterback you know like this it's not that type of question because I mean he started out hot then that second year he was bad he led, he led I think he led the league in picks no right no 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 Jameis did oh well, he had yeah, like 30 that's not fair you can't compare anything with exactly 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 <laughs> but um but yeah so I'm, I'm really big on that um I'm still you know trying to figure out you know because my first time recovering a rookie NFL quarterback just trying to figure out like how to be fair to Zach, you know, because he's going to have some great performances probably. He's going to have some, you know, some terrible performances because that's what comes with being a rookie quarterback. So, as long, for me, as long as he flashes and shows why he's the number two overall pick, um, that'd be good by me. Because even if, let's say, hypothetically, he plays, like, as bad as Jared Goff did his rookie year, Jared Goff eventually bounced back and got the, the Rams ended up getting some yeah, He finished that. I think he finished top five in that year in MVP voting. Like, he was very good. and then Yeah, he was very again, good. But- yeah, yeah, he just regressed, you know, but like he was very, very good that year. I, I vividly remember um, whether that was, that might have been, yeah, that was 19, where he played Patrick Mahomes all yeah, Monday night. Yeah, that was that the was best that Monday Night Football game. Yeah, even, exactly. Even I exactly. remember, I don't know why this is such a weird thing. I remember very vividly. They played the Vikings on Thursday Night Football, and he hit, mm-hmm. they, they ran at like a, they were booted to the right side, and it was like from like the 30, and he threw a seed on the dot to like Brandon Cooks in the end zone. I was like, Right. Whoa. Like, I have not, I watched every USC game. I never saw Jared Goff like make that throw. And I was like, all right, maybe he's like that dude now. And then uh, yeah, since the know, Super Bowl, his confidence has just been. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, so, but, but either way, though, you know what I'm saying? Like, we still have to give rookie quarterbacks the time to develop. You know, I think messed it up, though, was the Arizona, was the Josh Rose and Arizona thing. Cause we now, if they're not, if they're not, the guy immediately, all right, well, go find another one because we saw Arizona do that. But, like, that was a completely anomaly, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, no, Josh right, Rosen was yeah, really they, bad. That whole thing was – the thing with Kyler, too, and I know this is going to be harsh, I feel like we've kind of anointed Kyler, like, this home run. And, like, he has a lot of pressure this year because last year they've invested a ton of talent. There's a lot of vets around him. Yeah. And he after he got hurt in that Seattle game, his shoulder – I don't know if it was that bad or not, but he was not good. Like that Hail Mary, they threw it to Hopkins, and I think they lost like six last eight or something. Like they went from a yeah. playoff team to out. And he just like yep. – he's got to make the playoffs this year because Kingsbury and him are on the same track. I'm right. not saying he hasn't been really good. I would love to just have Kyler Murray. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think we're like right. – people are like, oh, he's an MVP candidate. It's like 
why are we saying he's an MVP? Everyone's an MVP candidate, I guess, then, because he hasn't proven <laughs> he's an MVP at that level of a Rodgers, Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen, a Lamar guy yet. I agree. I I, I agree. That. I mean, I'm really high on, on Kyler Murray. Um, like, I'm really high on him. But no, nah, those, those, are, those are fair points. Yeah, I think, I think he's think... awesome. Just saying, like, we're we have to, like, we're so aggressive with these takes now. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're he's right, their you're best right. player ever. And it's like, Kyler's really, right. really good. And, like, that's it. They need to win. Yeah, now. yeah, Otherwise, yeah. who cares? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're you're right. You're right. You're right about that. Like we in society now, we're so we we want to have these hot takes and we want to be first to say something <laughs> that ends up being right later on. Like yo, like we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. I don't think people realize that, like, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Like, like that's that's, that's that short. Yeah, that's that short moment of satisfaction, and then life goes keeps going on. You know? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all you do is give it a take. <laughs> yeah. All you do is give a take, and then if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And keep going on you know what I'm saying so um so yeah you know so I agree with you how was watching so I just want to transition obviously you went to Louisville people don't know you ran track at Louisville yeah obviously you were there similar uh you know some of the time with Makai Beckton and then obviously too soon all the guys like that but how was have you seen a transition from Makai because I feel like he was like 2017 I believe I might be mixed up the years 2017 season or 2018 season He's a he's huge, but then like oh he's probably gonna go to the league, but like he's not gonna be a first round pick. All of a sudden, played really well, first round pick. Like that's from my perspective what I saw, and it was like the forty at the combine. Everyone's like, this dude is huge, and then you watch yeah. you know pushing the truck and stuff. Do you right. do you expect him to be this good this quickly and get this much praise, or you're like he's gonna be more of a project? So I think 2017, uh, that team still had like Lamar, it has Dev Patrick, it had Jalen Smith, Jair Alexander. That team had like a lot of talent. Um, but I think Makai redshirted that year and he started in 2018 and they went like two and 10. They were terrible that year. Bobby like, Petrino is a disaster. Yeah, Bobby <laughs> Petrino. So like fun fact with that, with that still, with that situation was, uh, after they lost to Florida state, um, I think, uh, they were two and three, I believe. Yeah. They, they were two and three and they were supposed to win that game. Jawan pass throws a pick with like 50 seconds to go. Uh, FSU goes down and scores. Um, and I, and uh, a guy on the team tells me, like, later on in the year, after Bobby gets fired and whatnot, that, like, the reason why the whole year fell apart was because Bobby told, like, the team basically, like, because he told the media, like, oh, that's on me, that's on me. I shouldn't have, you know, called that play. But then he tells the team, yo, um, that's on y'all. Y'all got to make the plays. That's not on me. Um, and on top of it, like, I won't be coaching forever. Y'all have um, X amount of time. Just do what you got to do to make it happen. Um, and then after that, you know, everybody was just, I don't know, forget it then, for, you know, and then it all went downhill because they were still like, granted, they got blown out by Alabama week one, but they were competitive in other games. And then after that, they were getting blown out by 30, 40, 50, 60 points. So, um, so that's what happened with that season. But like, you know, obviously, so if everybody, the whole team is bad, it's kind of hard for somebody to stand out. But yeah, you see Makai Beckton's like size and girth and how big he is and how athletic he is. But that next year, once they brought in Scott uh, Satterfield and they ran a, what's funny, like, like they ran, like, I think they ran like a zone run scheme 
And like Makai thrived in that, which is why I know he's going to thrive in this offense because like, it's not as obviously it's not like apples to apples, but it, it was very similar in the sense of how they ran it. You know, like a lot of wide zone runs with J, uh, Hawkins, uh, Javion Hawkins was able to eat off of that. And he was crushing it um, his last two years at Louisville. I'm still shocked that he went undrafted, but um, so I, I always saw some of the talent um, granted, like, what he is now, like it, sometimes it's hard to envision that because I mean he looks like he's gonna be a stud now, like he looks like he's gonna be a perennial Pro Bowl type left tackle. But um, at my time there, um, I, I always saw the talent, but I didn't know it's gonna be this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's interesting. You look at him, and I think it's it's so underrated too that if you put Elijah Vera Tucker next to him, which is obviously what you know kind of plan is. You've got two. It's not just that they're both huge, they're both strong and all those type of things, but they can move it in this scheme. Guys that can be able to move and be able to get to the second and third level and block people is crucial. So mm -hmm. it, I think uh, I'm really excited about that. I think it makes him being like that trade for Elijah Vera Tucker that much more important that he's now going to be placed next to your franchise left tackle. And it might be able to keep Makai. I think like having a full offseason for Makai is going to be huge, be able to keep him on the field. Um mm -hmm. One other thing I that you mentioned before, and I'll, I was going to get to, I'll get to Q in one second, but the Gerard Davis thing with Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia to me is the Adam Gase of defense. <laughs> like anybody that leaves him instantly is just better at football. Um, so you know, it's crazy how you get a head coaching job and you get up the most yards in Super Bowl history. But uh, <laughs> right, so, yeah, it's it's just crazy how that you know happens. But no, in terms of you know, you're looking at some of the veterans that are coming back on the team. Obviously, the team was very bad last year, but there are some bright spots. Is Q and, are Q and Beckton the guys that stand out to you, or are there somebody else on the team that you're like, oh, I'm really interested to see how they develop with a, you know, under Robert Sala or, um, or LaFleur? So, guys, that's coming back. Um, I do want to see how Quinn Williams uh, takes, like, another step in, in this game. Um, I mean, granted, he, he's, he's been progressing, but I think now he can take another step forward because he's going to be playing with better – I mean, obviously, like, he was playing with some decent guys on the defensive line because defensive line was actually – a solid point for the Jets. They just added to it. So I want to see how he takes that next step in this defense. Um, I want to see how Bryce Hall is able to perform in um, in this defense now that the pass rush should be able to get there a little bit quicker. Um, I think the Jets were 30, they had 32, 31 sacks last year. So obviously if you can amp that, amp that number up to closer to the 40s, it's going to make his job easier, you know? So that is, that. that's one match. I mean, you know, a couple of players that I've thought about. And for newcomers, I'm really interested to see how Corey Davis does as the number one. Um, like, there's a lot to love about him. You know, like, he was fourth in the NFL and, all, you know, yards off play action, which the, this offense is going to feature a lot of. Um, I really – so, I'm, I'm, I'm really high on that. I think it was a really good move. He would have went over 1,000 yards. Had, you know, he you know he didn't catch COVID, missed two games. Um, my only question is he's going to be in the division with Stephon Gilmore, um, uh, JC, yeah, Trey, Trey Williams, yeah. exact, ex, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, um, JC Jackson, um, Jonathan Jones from the Patriots. Like, he's going to be in a division with a lot of studs at corner. How can can he win? And the Patriots and Dolphins, they both run the same scheme um, from it's just man to man for the most part. You know, sometimes yeah. they'll switch it up, but it's, it's they're a man based defense. I want to see it. Can he win in those situations where it's man to man, no play action? Um, can you just win? Cause that that's what you know um makes you know top tier receivers, top tier receivers. They can win no matter what. I want to see can he take that next step and be able to win in those situations. Uh, just you know, 
Um, against the Ravens, uh, in not in the regular season, he did pretty well against Marcus Peters, but there was some play action that he was able to eat off of that. And once the running game wasn't working as well against the Ravens in the playoff game, he wasn't able to, you know, he, I think he was he was he didn't catch any passes that game. Um, so yeah. obviously, there's a combination of a lot of things that go into that. But I I believe he has the talent to do that, because um, again, you know, when it comes to opportunity, more opportunities, more reps, increased chance of production. Granted, when you're in an offense with Derrick Henry. AJ Brown, <laughs> you yeah, know, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it limits your opportunities because he did all that on less than a hundred targets basically last year where he had almost a thousand yards. He did on less than a hundred uh, targets. So I think he has the talent to do that, but he still has to prove that. At the end of the day, I can think whatever I want. It's, we're going to see what happens on the field. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. I think um, it'll be interesting to see how both him and Mips develop. Um, obviously I was going to ask you as a track guy. I mean, I've pulled my hamstring and it took me probably three weeks to get back at receiver. And I only pulled one. I'm not a guy that was built on speed playing. Right. How how difficult and how much should we not underestimate pulling and then having like a tear in both hamstrings last year as a rookie? Like how much should you factor that in? Because I feel like as a guy who's a 4-3 person to tear both hamstrings and then be a rookie in the NFL a receiver, which is usually a pretty hard position to come in right away just because the eyes and the speed of the game. Do you right. expect him to take as big of a leap? Because I think him next to Corey Davis helps him a lot. And then having Elijah Moore, if Crowder remains on the roster, which looks more and more like it might happen. How much right. do you think those guys can take a, a step as a whole? Because I know you put that out on Twitter, the receiver group as a whole, where do you think they rank within the division in the league? Um, there was some, obviously, stark controversy from people. How people were mad they... at me. People are mad at me because I said it's not the deepest in the NFL. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't realize the Bucks uh, receiving core doesn't exist for the Chiefs. <laughs> having Mike Evans, having Antonio Brown as your fifth option is not exactly the worst, uh, worst thing to have. Um, overall, though, um, <laughs> overall for the receiving core, I mean, so back to your first question with the hamstring. Yeah. So I've never personally pulled my hamstring. But I've seen dudes that could run 46 seconds in the 400 meter. I know a guy named Josh All. He ran 46 seconds in the 400 meter hurdle. I mean, not hurdles, 400 meter dash. Pulled his hamstring and never ever recovered. So I understand how difficult that can be. Because um, I mean, I saw how much that like basically like ruined his career. And I've seen some other guys I ran track with that were pretty good that never ever, like, they some recovered within season, some weren't able to recover till like that next season. So, it's a lingering, it's a lingering uh, injury. And, you know, it's, you know, with receivers stop, start, um, trying to explode off the line. Um, and sometimes you, sometimes you kind of almost hold back sometimes. You don't want it to, to pop again or pull again. Um, and it's still trying to recover. I got one of my best friends I played ball with um, uh, when I was in college earlier, I was at a junior college, he tore his hand, he tore his hamstring and he didn't, he never recovered for the rest of the year. So I can only imagine like how difficult that was for him to deal with that. Now going to the group as a whole, yeah, I, I love the group. You got Corey, you got Denzel, you got Jameson Crowder, you got Elijah Moore. Um, Jack Wilson has weapons. I'm and I, but I'm not the person to say, oh, see, he has no excuses. He has to dominate no matter what. That's stupid. Like he's still a rookie at the end of the day, but he has weapons. Um, you can make the argument that they have. You can make so I said you can make the argument that they have the best receiving core in the division. You may lose that argument, but you can make the argument. So um, I, I do I do like that core overall. Uh, I do wonder if Crowder will be on the roster by the time the season starts. I know that I know the Jets are high on him from people that you know from Joe Douglas publicly, people that I've talked to, they are high on him. But 
again, you know, numbers of the, you know, financials, the numbers are the numbers at the end of the day, he's getting 10 million, you can release him and save 10 million in cap space. But uh, if you keep him, that's a really, really good receiving core. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, one thing I'd like to see with Crowder is he's kind of a decision one way or the other. I think they're half in, half out right now in terms of right. he's kind of a – he's a good – You can, I'd honestly rather see them drop the cap number and extend him a year or mm-hmm. or trade him um, at this point because I, I just think that, like, having a guy like an expiring deal, it, it just leaves people in limbo. And if he, like, booms this year, like, what if you want to keep him now his number's way higher or – what if he's? What if he gets hurt? And then you have you get no use out of that ten million this year, where you still got some holes. That right guard's still a huge issue for me. Corner, I would love to see a veteran body. I I just think you can't underestimate. Like there is still holes in this roster that could you know improve. Right. I'm not sure. I don't think they're going to go on all in. And I know we mentioned this. We'll get this in a second with the Julio stuff. But Crowder's a guy that's really good at his position. He still is mm-hmm. a slot guy, and the Jets took a guy who's going to probably play primarily slot with premier pick so who's probably got a bigger ceiling than him so well not probably he definitely has a bigger ceiling than him but no i'm just interested to see how this receiving core plays together and meshes i think it's really good that you're gonna have a full off season you're gonna have in-person workouts i think it's important that they have preseason games just to be able to get as much as those guys people hate the preseason it does hurt a team with brand new players all over the field new coach new system and then just roll into week one and, and play the Panthers who've got a <laughs> like it just doesn't that doesn't work well so I'm interested to see how that all kind of works do you think I know you posed this on Twitter and we'll, we can quickly hit on this realistically the Jets are not gonna be on Julio so let me just preface with that I understand that but if you were Joe Douglas do you call are you calling the Falcons and what would you be willing to part with if that was if that was the case Oh yeah, I call for sure. If I'm Joe, I'm calling. Just you know, and, and I'm willing to part with. Hmm, I'm willing to part with like a second. These are one part with a first is because the team isn't. You part with a first if the team is ready to take that next step, right? Um, right now, I mean, the Jets are you know come up between 14 year. I don't know. They're obviously not ready to take that next step to becoming a contender. That's just if they if they were to surprise people and do that, then great. But. You know, like it's kind of hard to yeah. It's cool. You get to watch Julio every day. That's that's the selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fantastic. But um, yeah. So I would. I mean, I would make the call, and obviously, I would. I would give up a second. But I don't see them. You know, obviously making that trade. I mean, I just don't see them making that trade. But I would. I would. You know, tap into that. No, I just saw. I saw a lot of people like, oh, why would you trade for Julio? He's washed. Like, did you watch Julio last year? He's not washed. Julio, Julio, he's very far from washed. (laughs) Right. Right. So, and then the other question is like, how many more years do you get of, you know, uh, good to elite Julio, right? He's 32. So you get about probably 23, 32, 33, 34. So probably about three years before maybe you start to see somewhat of a decline. So obviously the Jets made that move. They probably will be able to see some benefits by like, you know, by like the second year of that deal, like real, real benefits where you're contending. Or maybe that third year, but then after that third year, you know, like he's probably uh getting close downwards. to being done and you're like kidding your right. Feet. Right. Where do you exactly, think, do you think exactly. he ends up? If obviously the Jets again, I agree with you. I would I would move Crowder, I'd move a second, I'd move you have a million. Dude, you gotta do I'd that's move Julio. Two twos. I don't care what you have to do, like you would go get Julio, but I understand he wants to go to a place he's gonna win. The Jets are not like they're probably would I'd probably pick them to win another extra one or two games, knowing that you have the guy who's just, I think, still a top five receiver in the NFL could get open for your mm-hmm. rookie. But again, does that push you to seven or eight wins as opposed to pushing you from like if I'm Miami or I'm Tennessee, I'm Baltimore, 
honestly, I've seen some Chiefs and Rams stuff. If either if he, Julio goes to the Rams or the Chiefs, that Rams offense with Stafford and that like Woods Cup two two <laughs> like Deshaun Jackson right. all of a sudden now you're like whoa like this he might right. boom. But where do you think he ends up? Um, you know, as a whole, if you had to you know kind of throw it I, out. I there. think I think he probably ends up with Baltimore. Um, that that's my guess. Uh, I hope he ends up with Baltimore. I do not want to see him in, in New England. Um, <laughs> that would that would make me very sad. But um, yeah, for sure, Baltimore. My only my only questions is the scheme fit because I do not like Greg Roman's uh, passing game, uh, you know, scheme concept. I, I just don't like it at all. Um, you know, because teams. I hope Greg. Well, I hope Greg Roman doesn't have Twitter because every Sunday it is <laughs> massacre on Twitter. Yeah, like because you know it's you you have this transcending talent, and I get like you're maximizing his running ability with Lamar Jackson, but you're not maximizing his passing ability, right? Like, it, it's there. Because they're always in the bottom of pass attempts for whatever reason. I get it. They want to run the ball. They want to run the ball. But, man, this is a passing league now. It just doesn't – like, eventually teams going to catch up. And once they force you to throw, um, you know, we, we've seen the struggles. And, and I, I don't think with Lamar it's all because of, like, his throwing mechanics and all that. I think it's also the passing schemes too. Like, it's a combination of both. And obviously, you know, I mean, I like Marquise Brown, but I understand why people have their questions about him. I like Marquise Brown. But uh, I, I feel like look, Marquise Brown was in a different offense that was predicated on throwing the ball more. I feel like he would do extremely well in that type of offense. But, um, but yeah, I think that Julio can overcome the deficiencies that Greg Roman as a passing game coordinate, well, as a, you know, whatever his passing game scheme, I think he can overcome that. That's he's just Julio. No, that's fair. I, I was going to say, like, those guys, I just think that, um, you know, kind of can do whatever they want. It doesn't matter what scheme they're in. They're going to overcome Exactly, exactly, um, exactly. In terms of kind of the rest of the offseason, where do you see the Jets um, kind of being active? I don't know if it's going to be a big name or anything like that, but do you see them being active on like a waiver wire, um, you know, potentially, you know, some veteran cuts, or do you think that comes maybe, you know, during, during the July-August period where injuries start to happen and, and teams kind of move on or off guys? Yeah, I think July, August, uh, I think that that area, I think right now they're they're content with where things are. Um, obviously, we'll see things can change, but I think right now they're content with where they are. Um, again, I have to talk. I talked to somebody in the just, you know, facility and they were just after the draft. They were just like, man, I'm ecstatic. I just like the direction of where everything's going. So the optimism is high right now. Um, so I think right now they're good. They're, they're good. But we'll see. We'll 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 see as time progresses. Um I don't, I don't really see me. I'm in the, I'm in the minority. I don't think they should go get uh like a veteran corner. I mean, you want to throw out cash for Steven Nelson. I mean, Steven Nelson's a solid NFL corner. Sherman's uh, the only guy. I only, the only reason I like Sherman is just from the leadership perspective. He knows the scheme. Right, right. But I don't, right. I just don't, if you're Richard Sherman, it's the same thing with Julio. Julio doesn't have no trade. And I understand that's that, and that's whole thing. But for them, they're guys that want to win a ring before they make the Hall of Fame, you know, or exactly. win another ring. Whereas, right, I, right. If you're the Jets, going to have to give up the bag for Steven Nelson, and I don't know that he makes them better than maybe an additional one win. Whereas Sherman, long term, could help those young corners, but he's looking to win a, a chip before you know before it's said and done. Right, right. Which I you know I agree with. So those, I mean, I, I think at this point we're just waiting until um, uh, training camp to get a better idea on how things are going to go. But OTAs are this week, so we'll see what reports come out. Um, so we just we just we just go from there on that point. I know you, you mentioned some optimism, obviously in the building and things like that. And I think the fan base as a whole is probably 
somewhere between a six and a 10, depending upon how young or old the fan base, uh, you know, ask, yeah. you ask the person, <laughs> what do you, what would you say best case scenario is like where like things hit and Zach Wilson's really good. Where do you think they could end up? And then what's like, if they go anything below this, you're like, oof, like this is not, this is not good. Like there's no, pro- I don't see progress enough that I'm excited going into 2022 or 2020, mm. whatever. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so I saw somebody, I, I did broach the question, like what type of year does Zach Wilson need to have so they could surpass like six wins? Cause that's the over under. And I saw someone say Justin Herbert, but I think the Chargers went like seven and nine last year. So and that's like with Justin Herbert playing as great as he did, they still went seven and nine. Um, so I think if Zach, uh, I think if Zach Wilson plays extremely well, I think I could see like an eight and nine scenario. Cause they have a fourth place schedule, so they're gonna be able to beat up on some, you know, get some gimme wins. That's what Miami was able to do last year. They were able to play some, you know, some bad teams that they're able to steal some wins. But granted, they did play some better teams that they were able to win against those guys too. But um, so I think if Zach Wilson plays extremely well, they'll be able to obviously they could get over that six win number. Um, so if things go bad, I think it has to be like two and fifteen. And they're getting blown out a lot towards the end of the year. Like, it, like it, it's blown out a lot. Um, because when teams get blown out, sometimes it's just like teams uh, – sometimes it's just a bad day. But if it's consistent, then there might be an issue. But it got to be like 2-15, maybe 1-16. and 16. If they end up like with a number one pick again, then something tragically went wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that'll so, – I don't know if the fan base can be able to – Handle right, but 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 they, if they end up with number one pick, I still won't say like move off of Zach. I still yeah, no, it's kind of similar yeah. to like I guess kind of where Miami was in that sense, being in the top three, and then you. I mean, that right. was cause that. I mean, obviously they had a great year, and then it's just because they fleeced the Texans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I I'm interested to see. I think somewhere between six and eight wins is realistically where they should be shooting for. I know, I know people got all mad at Kyle on the pod because he was like, they should go nine and eight and make the playoffs. Like, they, why not? And I, I guess I get that, but you'd have to probably catch teams in, in like bad spots at some point. You're going to have to win a couple of divisional games. You're going to have to beat the Eagles, the Saints, the right. Texans, Jags, teams that are quite frankly not very good. Um, or yeah. even the Saints are like, I'm sorry, Jameis on the road, week 14, the cold. Like, you should probably win that game, um, right. even if it is the Saints. So, I'm interested. I just if they go anything if they don't win four games to me, I think four or five games you should be winning based on just having a much better coach. Even if Salah does nothing special and he's just a good coach, you should be able to win. You know, like last year they probably should have still won five games. That Raiders game was a joke. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, like the Patriots the game at home on Monday Night Football is yeah. a joke. How do you yeah. lose that game? Yeah. Um, right they probably shouldn't that. have lost Week 17 either. So yeah. I'm interested to see kind of how this stuff plays out. Um, wanted to get your opinion real quick on Marcus May. Um, there's, it's been a kind of, that's another thing that's divided the fan base. Really good player. He's still 28 years old, and obviously they saw the franchise tag, which is good for the Jets, terrible for Marcus May. How do you see this playing out? Because for me, I don't think there's anything wrong with signing him to a three-year extension, and basically you get him mm-hmm. through age 31, age 30 season, and then you probably let him walk at that point unless he's still really productive. But a lot of people want to let. A lot of people, for some reason, are like not super high on Marcus May. I'm not really sure why. Um, how do you see this kind of playing out? Because this is one of those – it's weird. The Jets haven't re-signed a player. And I, once I saw something extended a player, I honestly couldn't even tell you. <laughs> like, so. uh, 
Yeah, so I mean, the way it, you know, obviously he's on the franchise tag, um, about ten million a year, and that the Jets are still, you know, they're still talking to his reps. So I could see, you know, like a short-term deal, short-term type of extension, because as you did allude to, he is kind of almost getting up there in age. Granted, he's not like, I mean, he just he come off a pretty good year, and he's still relatively young. But you know, that thirty-year mark, you know, thirty-year-old mark, that's when things can start to get a little dicey, just a little bit. But I mean. I'm. I think I'm. I'm more waiting and see more with that. Um, just because one. I mean, I haven't been around the facility like the team enough to like be able to get like a good gauge on what's really going on. But I mean, he's a great player. Like he's, yeah. like, he's one of, like the standout players for the Jets last year. Um, and and the Jets have spoke highly of him. You know, uh, whether it's via Zoom calls or press conferences, etc. They spoke pretty high of him. So. You know, as you're rebuilding, you want to keep as many good players as you can, and he's a very good player. So um, that's a good that's a good strategy. Uh, draft well <laughs> and retain the players that are on your team <laughs> that are good. But right, but hopefully, um, we'll, we'll we will see though. Um, I could see a scenario he plays well again, and they just don't like resign him next year because you know we've seen those situations happen. But I think you know I'm I'm more waiting to see more with that because there is. You know, with that franchise tag, things can get a little dicey, you know. So that's where I'm kind of at right now. You know, just I haven't been around enough to really get like a gauge on that type of situation. But that's yeah, where no. that I'm makes I mean, I, I that makes sense to me. I mean, I just think it's I'd like to see it not linger throughout training camp. I'd like to see kind of a either, hey, we're just going to ride you on the franchise tag or like extend them during the summer because that stuff like the Jets don't need more distractions than you already have just playing in New York and you're just right. you have a rookie quarterback i just think you kind of give as little distraction to anything not positive as you can um one last thing i wanted to hit on real quick obviously most people have not gotten you know they want to hear sal has only been interviewed you know by you guys and um you know a couple of the radio stations and things like that what's it is, is the energy do you feel it even when you're talking to them or is that more just like we're just people are just buying into the hype or is like do you feel like that really is you know genuine and you can see it yeah, no, you can for sure sense it. You can for sure see it through the Zoom calls. Um, he's he's he loves football. He's he's always fired up about football. So that that's not that's not something that's fake. That is that is Robert Sala. Um, there's time where you know he'll be on the sidelines and he'll be able to, you know he'll be calm. Like so, he's not like a like a fireball the whole entire time. It ebbs and flows. But um, I think we'll see we'll 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 see more as. You know, the season goes on and, you know, we're in practices a lot longer. But from just hearing talking to the players, they love that energy that he brings. So we can sense it through the uh, Zoom calls. And I know it's even greater when you, um, you know, when you're actually face-to-face with him, you're actually interacting with him as a player. So I know that's not fake and that, that's who Robert Sala really is. Yeah, no, I'm excited about that. I just think that it's you're kind of a happy medium where Rex was awesome um, in a lot of senses, but he almost – as much as you loved how much trash he talked at the same time, you put such a spotlight on the team and it's an organization who traditionally has not done well with the spotlight. So it, that made it a little difficult, but um, obviously saw success and people love him for it. Even if he craps on the team all the time now, but uh, you know, regardless, <laughs> um, there's a lot of exciting things, you know, going on for the jets and um, you know, it's an exciting time to be part of the beat, I think. And, you will be, you know, going in the summer and be able to you know, cover training camp. And, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, if you if you don't follow DJ already on Twitter, I think it's a great follow, not just because obviously, you know, it's Jets content, but also there's a lot of fan interaction and things like that, that you'll be able to, you know, see a lot of content. I enjoyed the LeBron hate over the weekend. 
<laughs> person I've ever seen in my life. I've, I was 6'8", 280, and I was considered the GOAT by a lot of people. But flopping around like a fish is just not enjoyable to watch. Don't get. I'm going to get a bunch of people to get pissed off at me because I just LeBron's great. Let's he's the second best player ever. Whatever. But right. uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great content from sports perspective from the Jets. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and you know, continue to read his stories. He's got the story coming out about the Jets defensive line, and you know, the pod dropping as well. So there's a, a lot of great content out there, and uh, make sure you continue to follow and you know, and, and ingest that content. Hey man, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you guys soon.